and welcome to another episode of Consumer, the European podcast of the Consumer Choice Center. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words, with Billy Joel's Pressure fading out in the background. This is the episode 74 of May 19, 2022. My guest this week is Daniel Kadek, Executive Director of the European Liberal Forum, the political foundation of the European Liberal Party. And we're talking about Germany's plans for legalizing cannabis. Also in this episode, my colleague and managing director at the Consumer Choice Center, Fred Roder, is joining us to talk about the current political situation for the German government following two devastating results for the Social Democrats of Chancellor Olaf Scholz. Also in this episode, Ryanair is kind of awesome. Ryanair keeps suing other airlines over the aid, the government aid that they received during the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, even though they're not entirely successful, I think what they do is kind of awesome. So let's get started. And I want to start with this story on Ryanair, because Ryanair unfortunately just lost another case uh, against Condor. So the EU's general court's ruling brings an end to a legislative tussle that had been ongoing for almost a year. This is the, this is the aviation website Simple Flying writing. Back in June 2021, Ryanair initially won its appeal, which blocked Germany from furnishing Condor with 550 million euros bailout to support it during the coronavirus pandemic. However, this was not the end. Indeed, the EU later granted the German government permission to loan Condor a sum of 321.2 million euros following a reassessment of the case. Ryanair subsequently also objected to this bailout, arguing that Condor was not struggling because of the pandemic, but rather due to the collapse of Thomas Cook, which was a, a airline and, and, and travel operator. So uh, this is not the first time Ryanair does this, and, uh, and I think it's kind of awesome how this has been going. Um, we also saw that Ryanair had cases against Air France and SAS, which is uh, sort of the uh, Swedish or at least Scandinavian airline, um, and, uh, and Finnair as well. Lot Polish Airlines also being targeted by uh, Ryanair's crusade, as Simple Flying is writing. And this has actually sparked some controversy, uh, not only uh, because they are suing over these um, over these aids, but because sometimes they're actually also successful. So TAP, the Portuguese airline, um, received aid from the from the government. Um, but uh, Ryanair's appeal was successful. So uh, they received a 1.2 billion euro rescue loan uh, from the Portuguese government. But uh, the European Court of Justice based in Luxembourg had decided that the rescue loan received in 2020 from the state with the European Commission's blessing on the grounds that the European regulators failed to justify the huge cash injection. This is a lot more money than we're talking about here. This is almost as much money as Lufthansa got um, in, in Germany, and that is a much larger airline than TAP. And uh, the court, however, also said, quote, this decision that the court took for formal reasons over a lack of adequate reasoning does not have an immediate impact, nor does it suspend the possibility of TAP continuing to benefit from the loan. And uh, so this case seems to be ongoing. Uh, TAP is still allowed to use the money, which I think is sort of unfair because they lost the ruling. Uh, Ryanair also suing TAP over the uh, over the fact that they are not releasing airline slots that they're not currently using. Um, if you remember, we talked uh, about this in, in one of the previous episodes of the podcast, how airlines are allowed to use airline slots, which airlines, which lines they can fly from which airline to another. And, uh, and, and those usually go away if you're not using them. Uh, however, uh, the European Union had suspended those, 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 that decision making. And that's not, 
That's not great because ultimately what happens is that large airlines that also receive bailouts can keep flying these slots while other new airlines might offer better prices for consumers and, and might even put these old airlines out of business. And I mean, who cares if you're not providing a good service and good prices, uh, then that is what happens on a free market. So uh, Ryanair really taking good aim here at, at other airlines at a certain price because the Portuguese government, uh, upset over its attacks uh, on TAP, has said that Ryanair will pay a price for this. So Reuters is writing, Ryanair's relations with Portugal will suffer because of the Irish Airlines campaign to try to block state aid from struggling Portuguese rival TAP. Um, the infrastructure ministry said, due to systemic hostile attacks on TAP, Ryanair should not expect an attitude of cooperation. Wow, so defensive over their national airlines. This is a big problem. Individual countries still believing that you know they need to have an airline by themselves. Why does the government need to know need to own an airline? This is from a time when many countries weren't very well connected. Low-cost carriers have sort of taken that out, and also the fact that we have good connecting airports. Uh, that problem does not exist anymore. So there's no need for a state-owned, uh, whatever, Luxembourg Airlines or, or, or Swiss Airlines or any of that. That is really not, uh, um, you know, up to the times anymore. We're not we're not going with the with the times here. If we if we still keep those airlines and and the fact that the infrastructure minister warns a company, private company from Ireland, that they should be careful with suing their own airline, which receives government government funds, government grants. Um, uh, that 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 they should that they should be careful with how how they act because they might have uh, commercial uh, downsides. That is very disconcerting and should actually be a case, another case to be launched, uh, or at least a reprimanding from from somebody. Because if you want to have an integrated uh, common market in the European Union, this is not uh, how you should act as a minister. Next up, we're talking about the German. A political situation with managing director of the consumer choice center fred roder so listen in all right fred um uh you usually uh we talk about uh, medical uh, issues here with you but you're also from germany and still heavily invested i see you on twitter reacting to the german politics news of the day and recently olaf scholz chancellor of germany had uh, two defeats uh in uh, in in local elections what does that tell us about um, the leadership of, of, of Olaf Scholz? Hi, Bill. That's a good question. What does it tell us about the leadership uh, of, of the German government, especially Olaf Scholz? So we have uh, the so-called traffic light government in Germany, consisting out of Scholz Social Democrats, the Greens and the Liberals. And um, this government... Uh, but formed at the end of last year. And obviously they had uh, immediately two large challenges to deal with, um, the COVID winter, and then also uh, Russians invasion of Ukraine. At the very beginning of this, uh, Scholz actually showed a lot of courage and he gave this uh, famous speech in the German parliament on a Sunday about Zeitenwende, the change of times having a one-time injection of 100 billion euros into the German defense capabilities and upping German's defense spending to the 2% of GDP per year. Um, that's how things started. Since then, um, he has become fairly quiet uh, about all of these things. Um, so while initially it was 
basically promised that Germany will up its game and Germany has been criticized, especially over the last 20 years, a lot by its allies for a free riding on especially US defense spending. Uh, since then, not much has happened. Uh, the same comes for um, the promise to deliver up to 50 anti-aircraft uh, armored vehicles, the Gepard or Cheetah in English. Um, that was promised and then later on turned out that there's apparently not enough ammunition for it available and the only ammunition which is manufactured in Switzerland when Switzerland uh, refuses to export it. That should have been part of a technical due diligence before promises to Ukraine have been made. Uh, so there's German new term now, neologism rumscholzen, which means basically just sitting out everything. Uh, part of that is also that the governor of Mecklenburg, Western Pomerania, which is in the northeast of Germany, has been heavily involved with founding a foundation by Gazprom. And that foundation apparently even had direct contracts with Gazprom, um, more like on the lobbying side of things. And she still has not resigned, despite the evidence of um, losing documents and losing text declarations of this foundation, I'm sure it's still protecting her. And uh, the same comes for the Minister of Defense. Uh, she is too busy to learn the ranks of the military, but she has not been too busy to use the military helicopter to go on vacation with her son on a North Sea island, the fancy suit. Um, and this just shows a lack of leadership and a lack of, yeah, just leadership, that's kind of what's lacking. And the Greens actually stepped up heavily in the game. So both the foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, and the minister of economics, Robert Habeck, surprisingly show very strong leadership and uh, are the actors on the world stage. I mean, it goes, also goes to the point that Scholz refuses to travel to Kiev because he said he would only come if he would have something substantial to show. Um, I mean, today I saw pictures on Twitter that he visited a German baker to look at bread. That was apparently more substantial than showing solidarity in Ukraine, while most heads of states have already visited Kiev and uh, Germany, of course, its largest country in the European Union should be there. Uh, he also basically mocked the, his own Minister of Foreign Affairs for going there, because these are just like uh, prestige visits. Um, so maybe he's just afraid of going somewhere where he has to take the train, or maybe he's too chic to take a night train from Lviv to Kiev. Uh, but it's not that this doesn't go unrecognized. And he made the cardinal mistake to involve himself a lot in the state elections of North Rhine-Westphalia, which is Germany's largest state. So we always call it a mini federal election and people just didn't want to vote for him. So it was the Social Democrats' worst election result in that state since the beginning of the Federal Republic of Germany. Uh, so that's, that's a disastrous result. And um, yeah, so basically, I think what has, has, has to happen is that he either reforms the cabinet, kicks out the very weak uh, Minister of Defense. I think today or tomorrow, there might be actually stripping the um, special benefits of former Chancellor Schroeder, which is, of course, a heavily friend of Mr. Putin and still being a payroll of Gazprom and I think Rosneft. Um, so I think they. The Social Democrats finally figure out that they're deep in trouble with this, and people know that. I mean, even the traditional left media writes heavily about all of this, and there, there's like a broad consensus from all sides of the political spectrum when you look at reporters and analysts that the Social Democrats have a Russia problem. 
and there's still a lack of honesty to clean this up and Scholz seems to be part of the problem. Uh, he just thinks he can rumscholzen and sit this out, but it's a massive what, what, geopolitical crisis, so he cannot just. What do you think? Out. What do you think FDP uh, should FDP? What should FDP think about uh, when considering what what this government is all about and how this government is perceived? Because in the polls, the government does not square very well these days. And the FDP got nearly kicked out of both uh, state parliaments. They barely made it above the five percent threshold, with heavy lo losses compared to the previous elections. Um, so I think it's about high time to think about actually a new government, and there would be a majority for a so-called Jamaica coalition, which would be the Black Conservatives, the Yellow Liberals, and the Green Greens. Um, and there's a very strong opposition leader with Friedrich Merz, who actually had the guts to travel to Kiev. And um, that would probably be a good idea because the Social Democrats seem to be so busy with themselves and they start like big online fights with the Ukraine ambassador in Germany without actually thinking about the broader picture. So um, these people just have no idea what they're doing, especially the Minister of Defense. She's like utterly incompetent. She also doesn't speak English, which doesn't help if you want to coordinate with NATO partners. She's 55. I mean, try to meet a 55-year-old lawyer that doesn't speak English, but gets paid enough and gets perks to fly with a military helicopter and taxpayers' time to the fancy island of Zürt. I mean, it's just unbelievable you would not see this in the private sector. And you shouldn't see this in government. Absolutely. Uh, a lot to think about for the people uh, in Berlin. Uh, Fred, in any way, thank you so much. Pleasure. And last but not least, we have Daniel Kadek, Executive Director of the European Liberal Forum, the political foundation of the European Liberal Party. We talk about cannabis legalization in Germany. So, uh, yeah, let's see what Daniel had to say. So, Daniel, first of all, thank you for joining us today on the Consumer Podcast. I wanted to uh, throw you this question right off the bat. When you started in politics, did you ever think you would be talking about cannabis legalization in Germany? Well, first of all, hello. Thanks for having me. Second of all, I certainly hoped so, because we have been talking about it for so long and it makes so much sense. For, for, for so many aspects, being economical, societal, legal, um, and just philosophically, because it is taking a commodity that people obviously want to use and making them safely available for them, finally. And, I mean, 2017, we already had, for instance, in Germany, the legalization of medical marijuana, and this is now the next logical step, which I'm very happy about, and yes, I hope for it. And is this all because of this government change? Is it, was this completely impossible with uh, the, the CDU, CSU under, under Angela Merkel? Was that just not a viable alternative? And that's why the new government can now do this. Yes, I, I think there was a lot of pushback, especially from the, the Christian Democrats and the Christian Social Union. I mean, for, for a very long time, you had people as the persons responsible for drug policy and drugs in, in the German government who would answer a question why is cannabis illegal answer it because it's illegal and then being asked but yeah alcohol and other um and drugs are and tobacco are, are still legal yeah but they are legal and the other thing is not legal so it, it was it was a turning around on 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 the same spot and um the greens and the fdp when it comes to um putting responsibility responsible use of certain substances in the end of the consumers, I think are very much uh, aligned. The Social Democrats, I mean, they're the old old kind of um, Social Democrats that were students in the 68 movement and, and forth following. 
who have a traditional positive um, relationship with cannabis. I think this melange, if you will, um, put a, a good way forward. And yes, with the, so, with the Christian conservatives, it wouldn't have been possible so much. But you also see a change in society, a higher acceptance generally in society. Also, I think the push in the United States and, and Canada and other countries has helped a lot. Also, the, the positive uh, responses to the change of the, the drug laws in, in European countries like Portugal, that the Netherlands didn't collapse um, after so many years where you could smoke weed legally on the street. I think this all comes together. The Christian conservatives a couple of years down the line would have done the same. But now um, there was this uh, alignment of the stars with the Greens, the Social uh, Democrats, and of course the Liberals. Now you mentioned other European examples, and so this is this is I think a good moment to talk policy. So let's get into uh, let's get into that. Uh, Portugal decriminalized virtually all narcotics in two thousand one. The Netherlands has this um, gray area sort of uh, system, right, where um, possession is decriminalized, the coffee shops are tolerated. Technically, cannabis remains illegal in the criminal code in the Dutch system. Um, so this doesn't strike me as something that Germany will do, because in Germany, it's ought to be clear what exactly the rules are. So in terms of that, um, and to ask the question the way that uh, Mr. Oettinger would say it, what is the government zinking about? What are um, what are the options here? What what is the government currently pondering in terms of what model of cannabis legalization we're actually talking about here? Yeah. So as I mentioned, uh, since two thousand seventeen, there is the law um, for medical marijuana, and um, so you can have cannabis as an alternative form of therapy, especially pain therapy or if you have cancer patients and uh, multiple sclerosis and so on and so forth um, and they need to be prescribed by a doctor in the law as well is um, the the own consumption of, of cannabis so you're still not allowed to to buy it you're not allowed to to carry sell or grow it but if you have a small amount and each of the federal state defines what a small amount is so in Bavaria and Baden-Württemberg, it's 6 grams. In Berlin, it's 15 grams, which I, in my humble opinion, would say it's not a small amount. Um, but um, you have had that, that push already. And now the discussion is that until 2024, most likely, we will have um, a law that allows the controlled dispense of cannabis for adults, for the for pleasure consumption, for, for own consumption, um, like most of it. And the important part is that, that we put in regulations that protect young people. Um, and um, what does that mean? That uh, the, the control sale of those should be only for young people over 18, because you also have read the studies, how the psychoactive substances in cannabis have an effect on the developing brain. I think that's something that we should into, take into account, but it's important to decriminalize it. And there seems to be um, a, a big push for it. Also, let's be honest, for, for tax reason, it is being done. It has been done. And that is also, it was a kicker, by the way, for the Minister of Health in Germany, um, that he's saying, okay, we don't, we want proper product to be sold because we see on the street that there is a lot of cutting um, of, of the products and um, that we also see with other drugs by the way but um, this is something that is pushed for, forward and um, the, the, the question indeed 
will it be a more Canadian dispensary based model um, where the state is basically the grower supplying the dispensaries or is it a more free market model like we have in, in a lot of the American uh, um, states. And this is the big discussion now. How do we put it into action? So that is a discussion and I'm sure you will be part of this discussion. So I wanted to, to get your take um, on the policy level. What do you think is the right way forward here? Because, you know, everything from taxation as and also into what do I need to do to actually get recreational cannabis? Because if I go into uh, a dispensary and I need to show my ID twice, fill out two forms, pay three taxes, I might as well stick with my deal. And that's already an availability. And, you know, Germany, as every country in Europe, has the availability of the black market. So preventing that is probably a challenge. What do you think needs to be done? Well, um, coincidentally, we, we published a study together with our partners from Generation Libre in, in France, and it's called uh, For a Free Cannabis Market in France. What do we mean by that? It's not just saying whatever. No, we have looked at different um, levels of, of uh, integration and different levels of regulation for market. And always look, of course, at the production, distribution and consumption level. So um, look at the most extreme case, which is the state monopoly, which is a Canadian model, then the state more uh, as a broker and then the free cannabis market. What does that mean? And so in the state monopoly, you have the production that is uh, the delegation uh, to public players that are chosen by the government saying you are our public grower like in, in Germany back in the day when you had the beer monopolies and the state decided who could brew beer or, or hard, hard alcohol like you have in a lot of countries still and the distributions you have government sales outlets and the consumption is strictly for private use only in your own home basically then you have the level of the state as a broker so companies are chosen by the government and, and tolerated with small producers clubs. Again, something we see a lot in the United States. Um, the distribution would, um, uh, the allocation of uh, licenses to pharmacies um, and the consumption, the users could go to the mentioned clubs or designated public establishments or in, in the privacy of their home. And then is something that we at the European Liberal Forum are advocating for is the free cannabis market. So it's a free market competition and uh, authorized self-production. That doesn't mean that we just throw out there, but there is a, a quality control that is still taking place and there's a responsibility of the producer that we're advocating for. The sale is in licensed sales outlets. So it's not that you get it at the gas station, but then you have the aforementioned coffee shops, for instance, and um, public use, um, well, the use is publicly outdoors, so a similar regulation to tobacco, basically. So, and as I said, we and our partners from Generation Libre advocate for, for the latter because it eliminates the most gray areas and it eliminates the problems that, for instance, the Canadian model has um, established with um, the still very vibrant black market and the bad quality that you have on the black market.
Now, the other issue that Germany will need to address is uh, international treaties. Um, on the United Nations level, there's the 1961 Convention. This is very old and outdated. Now, some countries, including Canada, have chosen to ignore this um, and, and basically saying, well, the, the, the fight against the war on drugs warrants this measure, and this is why it's a health measure and not really a recreational cannabis measure, which is, you could say this is a nitty-gritty interpretation, but ultimately this is what Canada did. Now, no European country has actually uh, uh, genuinely legalized cannabis thus far. The European Union doesn't specifically prohibit um, a, a move to legalize cannabis, but it also says in a directive that member states are expected to uh, adhere to the, the UN conventions. So how do you think Germany can actually do this? Uh, will Germany choose to ignore uh, UN conventions or try to implement changes? Well, of course, you know how the Germans are. They like to, to uh, have everything proper. Um, but I think they first will push for, for the domestic legalization whilst in parallel also go to finding a European solution to that and also bring the topic to, to the United Nations. Let's be honest, in, in the latter case, um, the United Nations, it, it will not happen. Because there are too many countries who will push against that. And as we see, especially uh, the, the, the crackdown also on alcohol in countries like, like India, um, uh, not, not even mentioning um, everything that happens in the Arab world, I find it highly un unlikely. So I think it will mostly likely happen uh, with a change on domestic and European level. And um, this... Um, this uh, let's call it um, lifestyle slash consumer good directives that are there. There is a lot of discussion what's going on. It's, it's, it's not only the discussion about cannabis on European levels. Anything from cannabis to sugar to vaping products to tobacco to alcohol. This is very much in, in flux at the moment in, in the European debate. And therefore, I think there might be a, a German push on the European level um, to at least give the member states the opportunity to decide for themselves what they what they do with it. So uh, not uh, a regulation, but a directive um, when it comes to that. Uh, and therefore, Germany, I think, nonchalantly will ignore um, what is happening on the UN level, because quite frankly speaking, prohibition doesn't make sense and has never worked. I absolutely agree. Well, Daniel, you will have to excuse my careful skepticism, though, because my home country, Luxembourg, also announced legalization, and we didn't really get very far with this. Ultimately, the Luxembourgish government said the international regulations do not allow us to do this. I think there was a bit of a cop-out. I've said this on this podcast before. There was a bit of an easy excuse because the government really underestimated how much goes into cannabis legalization. It's not just declaring, well, tomorrow weed's legal. There's actually a huge uh, amount of legislative work that needs to be, and administrative work that needs to be done with the education uh, model, with uh, the question on taxation. What is the price going to be for a gram with taxation? So all of these questions um, uh, led the Luxembourg government to sort of abandon the idea of legalization altogether. So my question is, how optimistic are you that by the end of this current term, Germany will actually have a package legis legislation in Parliament? Well, again, the, the German Minister for Health um, is pointing to 2024. And um, of course, you cannot say that publicly we will ignore something. But let's just say 
the German government has uh, been talking about um, the Canadian experience when legalizing it, which is, uh, uh, well, very, very charming way in saying it. Okay, if we cannot do that this way, then let's, let's find the Canadian way. And as you rightly put it, Canada choose to ignore it. Um, that it that it is there. So yes, of course, um, there is the discussion about the international treaties. Yes, there is a discussion about um, EU legislation. But again, um, on in, in European level, the the discussion is going on. And Marco Bushman, the uh, federal minister for for uh, judicial affairs. Um, is also relatively positive, which you can see from the interviews that he has been given in the past. So, Darren, we're going to the getting to the end uh, of our time here. Where can people find some of the work that you've already done on this? So, you can find um, the work that we have been doing on on uh, legalization of cannabis um, with our um, study on France on our website, of course, liberalforum.eu, and of course on our social media channel. Twitter, uh, Facebook, we use mainly. You can also follow myself on um, on Twitter. Um, we are doing a lot in the area of, let's say, treating people like grown-ups. Um, and um, we also do um, work on evidence-based policy making. This is anything that goes into the consumables, but also anything we do on things like energy, where we have been advocating for nuclear energy, for instance, in the European energy mix, techno-sustainability approach and a future positivistic approach to, to technology. You find all of that, as I said, on our website, liberalforum.eu, social media channels. And of course, and I have to mention them here because they're great friends and partners, Generation Libre in France. Um, if you are French or French speaker, please check them out. They are doing tremendous work and they are working on a new a study on legalization of prostitution in France. Very interesting. Treating people like adults, that sounds like music to my ears. Daniel Kadek, thank you so much for joining the Consumer Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And that concludes this week's episode of Consumer. Thank you so much for listening. Please give a follow to the Consumer Choice Center on Instagram. We're doing great stuff there, so do check us out. As always, I'm your host, Bill Words. See you Thursday. You have to learn.